This audio program is presented by the Pentecostal Publishing House, your resource center. Word of Flame Press presents Amnon Had a Friend by Reverend Jerry Jones from the 1998 Atlanta Youth Convention. 2 Samuel 13, we'll begin with verse number 1, and it came to pass after this that Absalom the son of David had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon the son of David loved her. Now, so you won't be confused, it was a time when men had many wives. David did so. Tamar and Amnon were half-brother and sister. They had the same father, his name was David, the king, but not the same mother. It was in this long ago time, in spite of that fact, permissible. There's nothing wrong with what the Bible so far describes. Amnon was, however, verse 2 says, so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar for she was a virgin and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her I want you to pay particular attention to the next few words that will form my theme and title tonight but Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. Perhaps you've heard that phrase before. For the serpent was very subtle. I want to preach about Amnon had a friend. Lord, I pray you'd bless this word tonight. I pray that our hearts would be touched in this service. Lord, I know there's not likely to be any shouting while I preach. And I know that the spirit that you have sent into this service has already prepared our hearts. But I pray now, Lord, we would open our hearts to you. I pray you would guide my mind, fashion my words. I pray, O oh Lord, I would preach clearly, but unoffensively. Let I pray the Holy Spirit talk to every heart in life in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please be seated. Amnon really loved Tamar. It's important that you, you understand that. This was not puppy love. It was not a passing fancy. It was not what we would have called in my day a crush. The Bible says that Amnon loved Tamar. She was very fair and she was pure and he loved her. I want to reiterate, I don't want you to misunderstand. I know that they were half-brother and sister and such a relationship would be unthinkable in our day. Indeed, illegal in our day, and justly so. However, 
in this day and time, just as multiple wives was acceptable, so was this relationship perfectly legal. Not only that, it was acceptable. We read later in the story where King David himself makes it clear that had Amnon asked him for Tamar's hand in marriage, that he would have given them his blessing. It was natural and it was good and it was pure for Amnon to love Tamar. In this world in which you and I live, that perverted and corrupt minds have so twisted and sullied and made filthy some of the most beautiful things that God has given us, it's important that we remember that God gave us the capacity to fall in love. And there's nothing wrong and there's nothing dirty and there's nothing abnormal about that. Indeed, many of you are here this weekend or this week hoping to meet someone that perhaps what happened to Amnon could happen to you and more importantly to them. I think that's good. I think that's a wonderful reason for you to come to AYC. In fact, I hope every one of you that came here single, looking, hoping, dreaming, I hope every one of you find a girlfriend or a boyfriend, whatever the case may be. What I mean is I hope the boys find a girlfriend and the girls find a boyfriend. That's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. Because what better place could you be than where Pentecostal young people are gathered worshiping God? You don't want to go outside the church. You don't want to look out there in the world to find life's companion. You are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I know we're taught to ignore that scripture in some circles today, but it's still in the book. If you're looking for a mate, look in the church. Find somebody full of the Holy Ghost. Somebody that loves God. In fact, I'll go a step further. Don't even look on the back rows. If you're going to look, check out the front rows. Don't look for those that don't come to the altar. Don't shut that bunch out. Look for the ones that are here worshiping, praying, praising, loving God. That's who you want to spend your life with. It's good. It's beautiful. It's lovely to fall in love with someone that loves Jesus like you do and loves the church like you do. It's a good thing. It's one of life's most beautiful things. I certainly don't wish to offend, but even the physical side of love, the attraction between male and female is a gift from God. It is not dirty, filthy, wrong. It's clean and it's pure inside the bounds of holy matrimony. It was given by God as a blessing to the race. It was given by God as a blessing in life. It's normal for you to feel what you sometimes 
something happened in this relationship. It started out pure, clean. Something began to change. Tamar was a virgin. She was pure. Amnon knew that. Perhaps that was one of the things her character and her devotion and her love for righteousness that drew him to her. Amnon felt love for Tamar. There's no doubt about that. He really did love her. But Amnon made a mistake. The Bible indicates that at some point in their relationship, Amnon lost the battle of the mind. At some point, a transformation happened. The love that he felt for this girl, it was pure and clean. It began to change. Because he did not guard his thoughts and his mind. That love began to transform into an obsession. He found himself not wishing to be with the other young people. Didn't want to be with the group. He began to daydream and fantasize about being alone with Tamar. He began to build castles in his mind. He began to lose the battle of the mind. He began to be possessed by this idea, by this fantasy. Normal drives and desires, they're normal, young people. God put those in you, but they are sacred and they are held for marriage, for matrimony. And until that moment, the battle of the mind is the most important battle that you will fight. Those urges are not filthy in themselves, but you've got to guard your mind. You have got to win the battle of what you think about and what you dream about and what you fantasize about. It's important. We live in a filthy world. You are bombarded every day with impulses of immodesty and unholiness and unrighteousness. You are told that it's not wrong. Everybody's doing it from the White House on down. It doesn't matter anymore. Don't be such a prude. Don't live in the last century. Quit being such a Puritan. Listen to this preacher. It's a lie. Every bit of it is a lie. It does matter. Everybody isn't doing it. It's worth it to be holy and pure. You are cursed with a television in your home. If you have a video player in your home, if you have access to certain magazines, if there's opportunity for you to read certain books, you better make up your mind right now. I am a child of God. I'm going to win the battle of my mind. I will not allow these things to take over my thinking. I will not become obsessed with the filthiness of this world. Please remember that within marriage, I'm not saying these things are filthy, but outside and the perversion of our world will destroy you.
His every think, every thought, his every waking moment was filled with thoughts of Tamar. At first he shrugged off those ideas, those images, those desires. But they kept coming back and he began to toy with them. He began to entertain them. Before long, that obsession began to change again. It became more ugly yet. It became lust. Love is beautiful. Lust is ugly. Love you can build on and create a lifelong relationship. Lust destroys everything. It touches. Love lifts. Love respects. Love honors. Lust lowers. Destroys. Tears down. Ridicules. Mocks. Uses. It's easy to. In this world, it's easy. So very easy. But I have to tell you something. I admire this young man. I do. Not for losing that battle. I, my heart goes out to his struggle. But let me tell you why I admire him. A phrase. A, just, just, just a word or two here in this second verse. He fell sick. For his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and he thought it wrong. It's translated hard, but that means cruel. It means, it means wrong for him to do anything to her. Even though Amnon lost the battle of the mind, and if you do that, you're on the way down the wrong road. But listen to this story even though he entertained the wrong thoughts and even though he allowed his love to become obsession until he wanted to shove everything and everybody else out of his life and only thought of her until that even changed and became something so ugly called lust yet he remained true to his principles I'm not saying it's all right to lose that battle, but I am saying this. If you're struggling with those things, if you're struggling with that thought life, if you're struggling with that battle, there's sooner or later going to come this little thought planted in your mind. It'll say, if you want to, you might as well do it. If you feel like that, you're already condemned, so you might as well park on some lover's lane and go ahead and do it. That too is a lie. It's a lot easier to clean it up when it's still locked in your head. It's a lot easier to deal with the guilt when it's still locked inside. It's a lot easier to get it right when you haven't hurt anybody else. You haven't destroyed anybody else. You haven't done these wrong things. Oh, Amnon, I honor you because with all the thoughts and all the wrong thinking and all the mistakes, you wouldn't touch her. You wouldn't 
do it. I honor you. I honor any young person that walks through this world today, that goes to the schools that we see today, that has to live in this media culture and says, I'm going to be pure. I'm going to do right. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to surrender myself. I'm going to address it. Let me tell you, not everybody is messing up. Not everybody's parked on that lover's lane. Not everybody's falling into immorality. Not everybody's smoking dope. Not everybody's drinking whiskey. Not everybody's lying and cheating. Not everybody's going out to the worldly places. Hear me, this room is full of a lot of young people that have made up their mind. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to walk with Him. We ought to give the Lord a hand clap for His strength and His mercy in this day. It was not easy for Him. I am not excusing. I'm not excusing his thinking. I'm not excusing his fantasizing. I'm not excusing him losing the battle of his mind and love turning into lust. But I am telling you this, even when it hurt, even when it wasn't convenient, even when it made him literally sick, the Bible says he wouldn't do it. He had a father that taught him better. He had a mother that taught him better. He had a book that had been given by God himself. And he said, I cannot do this. It will not always be convenient for you to stand for what's right. It's not going to always be convenient for you to say no. There'll be times it'll hurt. They'll laugh at you. They'll make fun of the way you dress. They'll talk about how you act. They'll question what you do and don't do. But oh, even when it hurts, it always pays off to stand for what is right. But I have to tell you tonight, though if Amnon had been faithful to his principles, if he had stayed true to what his father had put in him and his mother had taught him and the church had taught him, he would have made it. The thought process would have reversed itself. Please hear me. There would have come a day it would have been easier to pass her in the hall. There would have been a day that he would not have had so many of those daydreams. There would have been a day that those feelings could have reversed themselves and lust could have once again become true love if he'd have just stuck with his principles. Don't you know that's what standards are about? Don't you know that's what rules are about? Don't you know that's why your pastor tries to help you by teaching you to live right, dress right, behave right, don't go certain places, don't see certain things, don't read certain things. He's trying to show you something. You can make it even if you lose the battle of the mind, if you'll be faithful to your principles. Could have made it. He could have made it. But he did not make it. I'm sorry to tell you, he did not make it. He could have made it. He 
made the right decision, though he had lost the struggle in his mind. He had decided I'll be true to what I know is right. Even, even when every fiber of my body, every, every ounce of my being cries out against it, I know what's right. Like we heard at the recent general conference, if he'd have said I decided it when I was in my right mind. So now that I'm not thinking so clear, I'm just going to keep doing what I know is right. But he didn't. He failed. And he failed miserably. And he became one of the Bible's great With the safety net of principle, of behavioral standards, with the safety net of the Word of God, a loving family, safety net of centuries, in his case, of, of traditions that taught him what was good and what was right. With all of that, what was so powerful? What was the one thing that had so much force in his life that it could cut that net and Amnon fell through to his to his doom what is that force that can destroy every ounce of training and right teaching and years of Sunday school and years of sermons and years of good teaching at home what is it that can destroy every good impulse that has ever been put in your body? Let me go a step further. What Amnon did not have, what is that force so great that it can destroy the Holy Ghost at, at work in your heart? It can overcome trips to the altar. It can nullify Sunday night services where the glory of God literally filled your soul. What is that force that is so powerful it can destroy us in spite of all our advantages it's wrapped up in my text entitled but he chose to do right even when tempted to do wrong but he stayed true to his principles when he had nothing but those principles to hold on to. But he was on the right road to recovery, to getting his feet under him again. But Amnon had a friend. His failure came about because of his choice. He undercut every good thing in his life because he surrounded himself with the wrong people. This is not a normal opening night sermon, I'm telling you. But I'm walking somebody's log right now. You have every advantage. There's no reason you and I should not make it we should not be saved, that we should live forever on streets of gold. There's no reason that we should succumb to the things of this world. There's no reason it should happen. But if we surround ourselves with the wrong influences, if we listen to the wrong voices, if we allow the wrong friends, 
to get into our lives. I'm going to say it again. It doesn't just mean marriage. Think of this. But be ye not unequally yoked together with believers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? It doesn't just mean marriage. It means who are you riding with? Who are you talking to? Who do you buddy with at school? Who do you hang around at church? Who are your friends? They will make you or they will break you. They will take you to heaven with them or they'll drag you to hell with them. It's your friends that determine whether you make it or you don't. I don't want to go too far with this because we've got a God can do anything. But let me tell you, you don't need any weights around your neck. You don't need to start 20 yards behind the beginning line. You need every advantage you can get. You don't need to cripple yourself. You don't need to handicap yourself. You need to surround yourself with people that get you to pray more and worship more and love God more. I'm going to ask you right now, that, that fella that you're sitting by, that girl you're sitting with, does that destroy your ability to leap to your feet and worship God? Are you more aware of her or him than you are of the Spirit of the Lord? Then maybe it's time for you to trade that one in and get you a friend that'll beat you to your feet, that'll praise God with you, that'll be up and glorifying the name of the Lord right along with you. Let me ask you one more question. What kind of friend are you? Do you drag everybody around, down that's around you? Are you always criticizing the preacher, criticizing the youth pastor, making fun of that really seriously worshipful young person? Are you always on the edge, always reaching through the fence? Are you always looking out over to see if the grass isn't really greener on the other side? Are you a good friend or a bad one? It's time for you to make up your mind. Are you in or are you out? Are you going to heaven or are are you going to hell and decide I want good friends I want to be a good friend I am not preaching that we should live a cloistered life I am not preaching that we should pull away from the world and leave them to their fate I am not preaching that we should not have acquaintances there but here's a simple test. When they're influencing you more than you're influencing them, you've crossed the line. It's time to look them in the eye with tears perhaps in your own, without cruelty, without being hateful, and tell them, you know, I really do like you, and I treasure our friendship, but there is someone else that I love and I treasure his friendship more than I do yours and I've noticed that when I'm with you I'm not as prayerful and I'm not as worshipful and I'm losing my desire to serve him and so I'm sorry to tell you that if it's between you and him I'm gonna choose him if 
friend had a friend. He thought it wrong. Principles were right. His feelings were right. Everything was okay. Yes, he was struggling in his mind. And he'd allowed his imagination to almost destroy him. But he was on the right road. He was coming back. It was going to be all right. I'll lick this thing. I'll win this battle. But Amnon had a friend. Such a small step from understanding them to excusing them to defending them to joining them. His friend lied. Jonadab. What business did he have hanging around Jonadab? He was one of David's sons. David was the anointed, the chosen. Shimea was the rejected, the carnal. Shimea was Jonadab's dad. What did a son of David have in common with a son of Shimea? He would have known better. He was a subtle man. That means wily. It means cunning. He never said what he really meant. He knew how to manipulate. He knew how to influence. They met in the hall. I can, I can imagine it this way. Amnon's still in the struggle. The Bible says he was sick. He was literally sick. He was this inward turmoil. This, these lustful thoughts that he was struggling to gain control of because he knew it was wrong. He knew it was wrong. It was hard, but he was going to do it. He was determined. Jonadab. Hey, Amnon. How you doing? Amnon's face lights up. Friend, that's what I need. I need somebody to talk to. Somebody I can trust. Well, I'm doing all right. Well, you don't look all right. Man, you look horrible. What's the matter with you, Amnon? Well, I'm just having a problem. Well, I'm your friend. You can tell me. You can trust me what friends are for. Well, Amnon says, bashful, timid maybe, it's Tamar. Begins to pour out his heart, his feelings for her. He really does love her. Remember that. He really does love her. But how they'd gotten out of control and he knew better, but feelings and that he'd become obsessed it's all he could think about he'd quit praying and he'd fallen out of the youth group he just wasn't it just and he knew it was wrong and he's fighting it and i'm gonna beat this thing jonadab i'm gonna beat this thing i'm gonna get back where i need to be i'm gonna get this right i haven't touched her i've done nothing wrong in that way but i know this is wrong what's in my heart and i'm gonna get it out and i'm gonna get it right and if John and Deb had been any kind of friend. He'd have slipped his arms around Amnon's shoulders and he'd said, you can do this, Amnon. You can make it, son. I'll pray with you. I'm on your side. He wouldn't have told a soul about it, but they'd have bowed their heads together in that hallway and they'd have touched God together. That's what friends do. Jonadab. 
smiled, a twisted little smile. <laughs> Man, do you need to wake up. It's the 90s. You've been brainwashed by that church, by that preacher. You have to look like that. Don't have to dress like that. Don't have to act like that. And don't think that doesn't have to do anything to do with what I'm preaching about. You get your mind messed up and warped about immodesty and wrong attitudes and all this junk and you get to thinking you can put that inside and it not come outside and you're wrong. Let me tell you what can happen to you. I, again, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm going to tell you, I, I was counseling with, a, with a, a lady that was raised in a Pentecostal church, taught what was right all her young life from the time she was born until she was a teenager, uh, older, I guess, out on her own. She was in church, had the Holy Ghost, all those things. But she had got away. She had got in a church that said, doesn't matter how you dress. Doesn't matter how you look. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter who your friends are. Doesn't matter what you talk about. Doesn't matter what you look at, what you listen to. None of that matters. We're saved by grace. Now she's in her 30s and she's sitting in my office counseling. My wife and I and she looks me in the eye. And without a blush on her face, without any backwardness at all, she said, I'm sleeping with this guy. And I believe God sent him to me so I can win him to the Lord. Now if that offends you, I'm sorry. But let me tell you, you don't know what cesspool you're going to wake up in when you step away from what you've been taught and what you've been trained. he said you can do anything you want to do you're a king's son why are you feeling like this you need to get with it you're just all hung up on a lot of old foggy ideas he lied to him in at least three ways he lied to him when he told him you're missing something by not sinning what a lie let me tell you I've never been drunk I've never smoked dope didn't inhale because I never had one in my mouth But I've met lots of people that have, that have waded through every filthy den of sin in this world. I've seen them by the scads come to the Lord. And I'm telling you, I've never heard one say, I wish I'd have been out in the world a few more days. I wish I'd have smoked a few more joints, drunk a few more quarts of whiskey. I wish I'd have been to a few more juke joints. Never, never, never. But I've heard them seemingly by the hundreds say, I wish I'd have found this when I was younger. Because when I was out there, this is what I was looking for all that time. It's 
Sunday a week ago I preached in the church I used to pastor in the New Orleans metro area and a guy came up to me and we began to talk and I began to remember his story. He was a tough one. He came to God when he was almost killed in a barroom brawl and a knife was plunged in his chest and it actually penetrated his heart but God spared his life after a motorcycle accident that caused cranial fluid to drip out of his nose. God spared his life and I watched him come down that aisle. I'm telling you somebody that's done everything you can imagine and some you can't imagine and he got the Holy Ghost and I baptized him in Jesus name about three weeks later we were having a Holy Ghost move and he came dancing up across the front of that church I was standing there praising God he reached out and grabbed me by the arm and he said when I was in the world anything that felt this good was either immoral or illegal he said this is the best thing I have ever found in all of my life I tell you what you're missing. You're missing heartache. You're missing guilt. You're missing regret. You're missing sorrow. You're missing low self-esteem. You're missing a lack of reputation. That's what you're missing. Instead, you have peace, and you have joy, and you have happiness, and you have hope, and you got self-respect, and you got a reputation. He lied when he told him, the world owes you. You're a king's kid. The world doesn't owe us. We owe the world. Paul said, I'm in debt. I'm in debt because of what Jesus did for me. But most importantly, he lied when he said, the rules don't count for you. I know what you're thinking. But you can beat the system. You can play the game, and no one will know. Like the pastor that stood at a youth camp, tears in his eyes running down his cheeks, and he said, Brother Jones, a month ago I found out that some of my very best young people, I'm talking about those on the front row shouting and dancing, were going out after church in the back seats of cars, with whoever they happened to be with, it made no difference. And there was no limits. He said, when we began to uncover it and discover what was going on, he said, I was absolutely flabbergasted. He said, I'd have given my life for those kids. If you'd have told me they could do those things, I'd have said, never. He said, but I sat in my office and one after another, I said, how could you? And one after another, they told me, Pastor, we learned how to clap our hands, how to raise our hands, how to dance to the music. We learned how to act in a way so that nobody would ever suspect. You got to be real in this thing. The rules do count, and you will not get by. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap.
He would have never thought such things. Never. Not, not Amnon. No, no, no. The Bible says he thought it wrong, hard to do anything to her. He'd have never thought of that. But Amnon had a friend. He even told him how to do it. You're sick already. Just pretend you're sicker than what you are. When King David comes to check on you, David came. Son, how are you? Jonadab from his, or Amnon from his bed. Father, I'm ill. But I really believe that if Tamar would come, fix me a little something to eat. David smiled a knowing smile. He understood. He wasn't blind. He knew the feelings that were there. Certainly, my son. Few minutes Tamar came in her brow furrowed with genuine concern because it's pretty obvious she loved him too she came over to the bed put her hand on his forehead Amnon are you all right he grabbed her arm she knew that look she began to beg him you can read it for yourself don't do this Amnon, this is wrong. We can do this right, Amnon. Ask our father, David. He'll allow us to marry. This can be clean and pure. This can be right, Amnon. Don't do this. But Amnon had a friend. And instead of the voice of the pleading Tamar, he heard the voice of the sneering Jonadab. Do what you want. It's your life. Do what you want. It's your choice. Nobody has a right to tell you how to live. And he pulled her down on the bed. And Amnon raped Tamar. And when his lust was spent, something happened. A twisting in his The Bible describes it like this. He despised her, shoved her off the bed, literally pushed her out of the room, slammed the door behind her and locked it. Because the love that Amnon had for Tamar was so changed by this horrendous event that he hated her with a hatred that was equal to the love that he had. I certainly understand what the Bible's saying, but let me tell you something. He didn't hate her. He hated himself. He couldn't stand to look at her because it was a mirror into his own soul. I knew it was wrong. I knew I shouldn't have done it. It was horrible. I should have never done it. He couldn't face the fact of what he had done. He knew what it meant. Tamar could never marry now. Her life forever ruined. Shut up in the back room of the palace. Never to bear children. Never to be the wife of someone she loved. His own life forever marked with a crime that he had done. His father didn't say a word to him. It looked like he got away with it. But for two years, the guilt gnawed away at his soul. Listen to me tonight. You got to win the battle of your mind. You got to keep yourself pure. You got to be careful about who your friends are. I'm not playing games tonight. I'm telling you the bedrock truth. It may even seem to you that you got away with two years. David said nothing. Absalom, who was the full brother of Tamar, 
didn't say anything. Tamar was locked in the back room, weeping her heart out day after day for two long years. Amnon, searching every eye, do they know? What do they think? Every word weighted in his mind as guilt drove his heart. What do they really mean by that? What do they really think of me now? Two years. Absalom even met him in the hall and shook his hand. How you doing? Spoke to him. Good friends. Absalom! Let me tell you something. Amnon was in line to the throne. He would be the next king. He was the only one in Absalom's way. He was the only one in Absalom's way. Two years, Absalom was just as good a friend as ever despite what happened to his full sister. In fact, after two years, Absalom announced to all the sons of David, the princes, all of them, we're going to have a dinner, a banquet. It's going to be in honor of our elder brother who will one day be our king, Amnon. And they gathered the house of Absalom. Oh, it was a shining occasion, glittering with jewels and silver, finest of China. Food was excellent. Entertainment was top-notch. It was a time of fun and laughter as half-brothers and full-brothers came together to honor Amnon, who was first in line for the throne. How could they know that Absalom had already given orders to his servants, I don't want him to leave here alive. And before the final words were spoken, they fell on Amnon without warning. He cried out, he screamed for mercy. No! When he saw the face of Absalom, those glittering eyes, he knew what was happening. He understood. He began to plead for his life. No, Absalom. No, Absalom. No! He sounded very much like Tamar had sounded two years before. But as his heels drummed out the last of his life, as their steely knives plunged again and again, and his blood poured out on the marble floor, Amnon died begging. The other sons of David leaped to their feet, began to run. Fear gripped every heart. A messenger burst into the throne room where King David was conducting business gasped out the horrid news Absalom has killed all the king's sons David leaped to his feet tore his garments wept out his sorrow no what a horrible thought all my boys from the shadows of the room stepped a man who lifted his voice to comfort the grieving king. Oh no, king. Only Amnon is dead. David must have been in too much shock to ask the obvious question. 
when he looked down into the face of a man who had not been at the banquet, who did not see what Absalom's servants had done, and yet knew more about what had happened than the eyewitness that had come from the scene of the, of the murder. When he looked down and he saw Jonadab, He never asked the obvious question. How do you know? Had he asked it, there could have only been one answer. It was planned from the beginning. All Absalom needed was an excuse. And when he met Amnon in the hall that day, and urged him to defile his own sister. It was at Absalom's bidding. My friends, he was not a friend at all. When he tells you, if you love me, you will, he's not your friend. When they say, just a few more drinks, they're not your friends. When they say it's not really so bad, everybody's doing it anyway, they're not your friends. When they tell you you don't have to live right and you don't have to look right and the church is just stuck in the 1940s, they're not your friends. been preaching, those voices have been speaking. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just another preacher. He can't relate with me. Look at him. He's got to be a hundred years old. He doesn't know what I'm going through. Voices. You've heard the voices of some of your friends while I've been preaching this message tonight reinforcing those feelings. Come on out with me. Come on out with me. But while Jonadab whispers his insidious suggestions, there's another friend here tonight. His nail-scarred hands are reaching toward you. His voice, too, is being heard in this place. Choose me, he says. I'm a true friend. I'll never let you down. I'll never leave you alone. I'll choose only what's best for you. I'll order your paths in the right ways. I'll give you peace that passes understanding. I'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'll give you life and life more abundant. I'll never lie to you. I'll never mislead you. I will always love you. I'll give my life for you. What a friend. 
went to see my grandma Christmas Eve. My grandmother will be 91 years old February 14th. She doesn't really know me anymore. I know her. Explained two or three times who we were, and finally she said, yeah, she knew us, but I, I really don't. Granny got the Holy Ghost, 1929, in the barn shelling peas. Her mind is gone. Her mind is gone. Alzheimer's. The day before, a pastor came by to visit her. When he got ready to pray, just before he left, I guess when you're 91, nearly you don't have to worry about people think, think about you. And Granny threw her hands up, started speaking in tongues. She can't remember her name sometimes, but she can still talk in tongues like you never heard. <laughs> her voice echoed out through that little nursing home. Uh, Holy Ghost fell in that place. Pastor called me and said, I have never felt more of the Holy Ghost than I felt yesterday praying with your grandmother. She's sitting in that wheelchair Christmas Eve in the day room. People walking back and forth visiting with their relatives. All of a sudden my granny lifted up her voice. What a friend we have in Jesus. She can't remember the words too well, but all our sins and griefs he'll bear. What? And she couldn't remember the words. She just kind of glossed over it. But I sung it for her. A privilege to care everything to God in prayer. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'll go with you to the end. So you need to choose tonight, Jonadab or Jesus. Simple choice, really. But so many are choosing Jonadab, who doesn't really love you, who doesn't really care about you. He's got his own agenda and he wants to destroy you. Jesus loves you. If you've lost the battle of the mind, He'll help you. Even if you've broken your own principles, it's not too late for you. Not with this friend. He's calling you tonight. He's calling you tonight. Across this building, there's good young people that have decided to live for God in the struggles and trials of life and the temptations they're called to bear. You need to be sure you're holding the right hand. You've got the right friend.
if you want to be sure of that tonight, I want you to begin to come. We saw a while ago, there's not enough room, so you're going to have to hurry if you want to get up here where Jesus is. Come on right now. This audio program is presented by the Pentecostal Publishing House. The Pentecostal Publishing House, your resource center.